Salvation Now podcast, where you'll discover and be equipped with keys from the Word of God that will pave the way to God's unlimited blessing in your life. Now, here's your host, Evangelist T.J. Malkanji. We began yesterday a two-part series on the gifts of the Holy Ghost. And yesterday I talked about how the promise of the Spirit, who is the custodian of these gifts, was not just given to the first century church, but the Bible says in Acts chapter 2, the promise of the Holy Ghost is for you, speaking to the apostles, and to your children, speaking to the next generation. And then it goes on to say, to as many as are far off, As many as the Lord our God would call. Well, if you're called, if you're born again, if you've been called to Christ, if you've repented of sin, that's the call of God, the initial call of God. And if that's happened, then you can know for certain that the gifts of the Holy Spirit, if God gave you the Holy Ghost, it wasn't just so you can have goosebumps. It wasn't just so you can have the back of uh, uh, the, the, the hair on the back of your neck to stand up. It wasn't just so that you can shout in service. The gifts of the Holy Ghost, or rather the Holy Spirit himself, when he comes to live in an individual it is not just to get the goosebumps and the thrills and frills and all that the gift of the holy ghost comes to people who are on the go that are ready to put their hand to the plow people that are activated for christian service and so the holy spirit was not sent just so that you can feel good or have good vibes or have this energy boost in life tongues is not just for you And every other gift of the Holy Ghost is not just for you. These gifts of the Holy Ghost that we have access to when we're filled with the Holy Spirit are given to us so that we can be impactful, so that we can uh, can do exploits for God on the earth. I want to say this very and make it very clear to you that when Jesus came, he came as son of God, born of the Spirit in the Virgin Mary. But he did not do anything on the earth for 30 years. He did not have any miracles. He did not heal any sick people. He did not multiply any food. He did not raise any dead people for 30 years. And it was in Luke chapter 3 where the Bible says he was baptized by John in the Jordan River. And when he prayed coming up out of the waters, the heavens were open. And the Spirit of God descended upon him as like a dove. And he goes into the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights. And he fasts and prays having eaten nothing. He returns afterwards in the power of the Spirit to Galilee. And that's when he begins to emerge as a miracle worker. That's when you start to see the sick being healed, blind eyes coming open, deaf ears being unstopped, dead people rising, food multiplying. All these wonderful things happening happened after Jesus was filled with and empowered by the Holy Spirit of God, the third person of the Trinity. And so my question to you today is if Jesus needed the power of the Spirit to operate in miracles, to operate in supernatural healings, to operate as he did on the earth, my question to you is, do you think you can do it without 
this mighty ministry of the Holy Ghost? Do you think that the church can succeed and continue to multiply and grow without this mighty ministry of the Holy Spirit, namely the operation of the gifts of the Holy Spirit in and through us? No, the question is answered by a resounding no. John 14, 12, Jesus makes it very clear to us. He says in verse 12, most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the same works that I do, he will do, and greater works than these will he do, because I go to my Father. Jesus did not do any miracles, the Bible says, until John 2, when he performed the miracle of turning the water into wine. That began his miracle ministry. This began after he was activated, enabled, and empowered by the Holy Spirit. And you see Everything Jesus did, every miracle he performed is actually an operation of these nine, actually seven gifts of the Holy Spirit. Jesus operated in seven of the nine gifts of the Holy Spirit. The two gifts that he did not operate, or at least we don't have any scriptural instance of it, is the gift of tongues and interpretation of tongues, which we're going to get into the definition of those in a second. But Jesus never gave a word in tongues, neither did he ever interpret tongues. That those two gifts are reserved solely and exclusively for this New Testament church, for the church age. So I've had people come up to me and they say, you know, uh, you know, I've never heard Jesus speak in tongues. I never heard Jesus. So these gifts of the Spirit aren't for today or tongues isn't for today because Jesus never spoke in tongues. Yeah, Jesus, it does not say in the scripture he ever spoke in tongues. But in Mark chapter 16, 15 and 17, it says that these signs are going to follow them that believe they shall speak with new tongues. They shall cast out demons. They shall lay hands on the sick and the sick shall recover. And this scripture is in conjunction to what he had previously said where he said go ye therefore and preach this gospel to every creature go and preach the gospel so as long as the mandate to preach the gospel is in place then the mandate to cast out demons is in place the mandate to heal the sick is in place and also the mandate or not the mandate rather the power to speak in tongues is still in place so Jesus says, the works you have seen me do and greater works than these shall you do because I'm going to the Father. Matter of fact, in John 16, Jesus telling his disciples of his soon death, burial, and resurrection. They didn't understand the resurrection part. They just focused in and zoned in on the fact that he was going to be betrayed into the hands of sinners and be crucified. And the Bible says they began to be very sorrowful. They began to sorrow at heart. They began to get sad. They began Began to be confused Peter spoke up man we've been traveling with you all these years and now you're saying you're leaving me Jesus identifying their sorrow of heart says why is it that you're sorrowing of heart he says it's actually to your advantage if I go away because if I go away then I'll have uh, I'll have come before God himself the father himself by my blood in doing so obtain eternal redemption for you whereby you can be cleansed and made into new wineskins so that the same wine of the Holy Ghost, the same power of the Spirit that dwells in me, empowering me to do the works, will come and live in you. He says, it is to your advantage that I go away, because if I don't go away and appear before the Father on your behalf, obtaining eternal redemption by my blood for you, then I cannot send to you the Helper. But if I do go away, he says, then I can send to you 
the helper, namely the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name. Hallelujah. In Acts chapter 2, they're all together in one accord, and suddenly there comes from heaven a sound as of a rushing mighty wind. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and there appeared unto them divided tongues of fire, and they spoke in other tongues. There you have the first, uh, the first time this gift of tongues is evidenced throughout the entire scriptures. But it's not something new because Isaiah, in Isaiah 28, prophesies with stammering lips and a clamoring tongue, I shall speak through my people. So it's not something that uh, was never hinted at in prophecy. It's been hinted at before, but that's the first occurrence of it in its practical form. And that's when the Holy Ghost came. From that moment, you see the apostles moving in to the same works of Christ. By the same gifts of the Holy Ghost that Jesus himself operated by. I want to read this in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Because I want you to understand that we're not drinking from a junior Holy Ghost today. I want you to understand that we are not, we are not tapping into a less than Holy Spirit than what Jesus or the apostles tapped into. We are not privileged to receive a counterfeit version or a watered-down version of the Holy Spirit that Jesus and the apostles had. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 12, the Bible says, as the body is one. Well, what body is he talking about? He's talking about the body of Christ. The body of Christ. The Bible says you are the body. You, are, you belong to the body of Christ. You yourself isolated in your own island by yourself is not the body of Christ. This is where you have a lot of people that says, I don't need to go to church. I can just stay at home. I am the church. You are not the church. The body of Christ is the church. You are a part of the body. You might be the hand. You might be the foot. You might be the eye. You might be the mouth. But you are not the full body. Jesus is the head. And every single one of us together are being built up a spiritual house and we are members in particular members of that body so as the body is one and has many members but all the members of that one body being many are one body so also is christ listen to this for by one spirit we were all baptized into one body whether jews or greeks whether slaves or free and we have all, I want you to highlight this in your Bible today if you haven't already. And we have all been made to drink into one spirit. Hallelujah. Paul is saying we're all tapping into the same power source. Hallelujah. We're all tapping into the same power source. We've all been made to drink of the one spirit. Think of it this way. I have uh, kidneys. I have liver. I have lungs. I have a heart. I have a pancreas, I have a gallbladder, I have a stomach, I have all these components of my body. But it's the same blood that flows through it all. And Jesus, or Leviticus rather says, the life of a thing is in its blood. So the life-giving force, which is the resurrection life, the power of the Holy Spirit, the life-giving force is like the blood in the body. Whether you're a liver, whether you're a kidney, whether you're a hand, whether you're a foot, whether you're a mouth, whatever it is, 
There's blood that flows through the entirety of the human body. In the same vein, we are different parts of the body of Christ, but it's the same power source that is surging through the entire body, enabling us and activating us to do the works Jesus did. And Jesus himself said, greater work shall you do because I go unto the Father. So if you feel like you're the pinky toe of the body of Christ, my pinky doesn't get to drink of a different blood source as my hand or my mouth. It's the same blood running through my entire body pumped from my heart. Hallelujah. So in the same vein, if you feel like you're the pinky or you feel like you're some insignificant part, you know, they say you can live without an appendix. And it is true. Many people have had appendicitis and they had their appendix removed. And some people in the body think that they're the appendix of the body of Christ, that the body of Christ can do without me. But that's not true. There is no useless part to the body. There is no uh, irrelevant part to the body of Christ. Every part has its place. Every part has its position every part has its own assignment and its own task to fulfill and it's not going to be fulfilled by human power or human strength but uh, Paul himself said in Ephesians 6 that we are to be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might so I, yesterday I touched on and I'll go for a brief, brief definition of uh, the revelation gifts. But yesterday's broadcast, we touched on the revelation gifts of the Holy Spirit. Namely, the word of wisdom, the word of knowledge, and the discerning of spirits. I wanted to say this again because I, I touched on it yesterday, but I, I want to enforce it again. These gifts of the Holy Spirit do not operate in an atmosphere of disunity or hate. The two foundational elements for these gifts to move profoundly and efficiently through the body of Christ is love and is unity. When we speak of love, we're talking about when I desire to move in the gifts of the Holy Ghost, it's because I love the Lord my God with all my strength, with all my power, with all my mind. And I'm desiring to fulfill his work on the earth that I know cannot be done without these arsenal of the spirit this weaponry of the spirit this artillery of the spirit i know i need it to get it done i know i need it to get the great commission done to fulfill the mandate of god on my life and so when i want to excel in these gifts my love for god is what propels me for it because i love god i want to see his work accomplished on the earth i can't do it in my own strength or energy i need this dunamis at work in me and then love for people. I see people bound. I see people blind. I see people in wheelchairs. I see people that are plagued by sickness and disease. And so it provokes me to then fast and pray and sit under people that have the gifts of healing or the working of miracles so that I too can be used as the sword of God to break the chains that the enemy has so desired to keep these men bound with. I see someone in a wheelchair, it provokes me. I need to fast and pray and sit under a gift of the working of miracles so that I too can do what Jesus did and lift people out of the paralytic state. That's what propels me. It's a love for God. I want to see your work done. And then a love for people. When I see people that have been pounded, people that have been crushed, people that have been oppressed by the work of the devil. And I know that the solution to their situation can be found not in medical science, not in psychology, not in any human intervention, but only divine intervention. It propels me to fast and pray so that these gifts can operate through my life so that I don't have to 
just look at bound individuals and keep them in prayer. I don't want to just look at bound individuals and say, man, I feel bad for Joey. I don't want to look at people that are blind and, and, and crushed, downcast and depressed and just say, man, wow, I just wish they can be helped. I don't have to wish any longer. I have the artillery of the spirit that's been made available and accessible to me so that I don't have to wish for these people be made well. I now can move and flow with the Holy Ghost and operate as he distributes these gifts to me to see these men made well and come out of the pit and the dungeon of sickness and disease. So if it's your desire to fulfill the mandate of heaven, the Great Commission, and your desire to not just keep people in prayer anymore, then this broadcast is for you because you qualify because you love God and you love people. And the scripture says, that uh, the gifts of the Holy Ghost, you know, he even says, if I speak in tongues, but I have not love, I'm nothing. If I have faith to move mountains, but I have not love, I'm nothing. You, you know, he's pretty much saying that these gifts, they excel with love. And then two, unity. Unity. We're not bickering over doctrinal issues that are non-issues. I had someone write this entire post on my YouTube video yesterday about how I am. He starts it off by saying, I don't mean this to attack you, but then goes on to attack me and says things like, uh, you're, you're, you're misleading people, you're deceiving people because I teach a pre-tribulation rapture and he teaches a post-tribulation rapture. That, my friend, is not a salvific issue. Whether you believe Jesus will rapture his church before the tribulation or after, is up to you. I know people that are great scholars of the word. They're very academic. They're spirit-filled. They love God. They love people. They believe in post-tribulation. I believe in pre-tribulation. I believe they're wrong. They believe I'm wrong. We still get together. My friend Isaiah Saldivar, he believes in post-tribulation. I believe in pre-tribulation. We still get along. We still love each other. We still do things together because it's non-issue. It doesn't impede on people's ability to be saved. There's other things like, for example... Whether you're baptized in the name of Jesus or baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost. There's literally people that will create disunity based on that minor issue. Look, if you're baptized in the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost, you're baptized in the name of Jesus. You've covered it all. If you're baptized in the name of Jesus, whatever, you're baptized. And the point is, is you were baptized with Christ, raised up to the newness of life. That's the point. That's the point. And we're recognizing, uh, uh, we're, we're expressing our inward faith through an outward expression, an outward action. There's some people who will lose it, lose it off minor things like that. Now, if you're denying the deity of Christ, yes, I ain't going to be your friend. Yes, if you're denying the immaculate conception, we ain't going to be friends. Yes, if you're denying that Jesus died and rose again, we ain't going to be friends. In terms of like, if you call yourself a Christian, there's a minister, major minister recently that just let out this stupid statement and it's going all viral on YouTube right now where he says that, uh, th that you can be gay and Christian and that gay Christians actually have more faith than he does. That I'm not going to associate with someone like that. You have denied the faith. You have denied the faith. You have given in to seducing spirits and doctrines of demons. For you to say this gay people have more faith than me. Gay Christians have more gay Christians have more faith than me. You're saying that you yourself don't have the faith to repent because faith without works is dead. Obviously they don't have more faith or, or the Bible kind of faith, because Bible faith leads to repentance. So in terms of that doctrinal issue, yes, we're not going to, we're separating. And Paul has uh, people throughout the book of Acts and in his letters, where he actually says you should hand these people over to Satan because they've denied the faith. There's some people he calls, uh, uh, he, he, he says that have shipwrecked the faith of others. 
There's some people that he says their message is cancer. Yes, there are people like that. But I'm talking about minor issues. If there's disunity because of denomination, oh, they're, you know, they're, they're charismatic. We're Pentecostal. Oh, we're Pentecostal. They're just Protestant. Oh, they're Protestant, but they're, um, they're Baptist. Oh, you know, if you're going to go out and, and, and be up in arms over all these minor things like that and create denomination, we're, we're non-denominational. We don't associate with anyone and, and nobody associates with us. We're an island of ourselves. You have closed yourself off from the body of Christ and disqualified yourself from ever being used in the gifts of the Spirit. So I have to enforce that once more. The two foundational elements for these gifts to excel and flow freely in your life is you need to have love and you need to have unity. Now, let's get in it. Yesterday, we discussed revelation gifts. For the sake of time, I'm just going to briefly, if you want to go back on yesterday's broadcast, after this broadcast and watch that, it would do you a lot of good. It's a, um, it, it was a powerful one. But for the sake of time, there are three gifts fall under the category of the revelation gifts. There's three categories of the gifts of the Spirit. There are the revelation gifts, there are the inspiration gifts, and there are the power gifts. Today we're going to deal with the power and inspiration gifts. But to give you a little synopsis of what we dealt with yesterday, the revelation gifts are one, the word of knowledge. This is a revealing, God's revealing to your spirit a fact that is already in existence that could not have come to you any other way. It is not you being uh, a detective and just being able to deduct certain things it is a supernatural endowment of a fragment of knowledge that is in existence that could not be coming to you any other way number two we have the word of wisdom this is the gifting that many of the prophets operated in in the old testament and in the new specifically agabus where they foretold future events they spoke of future events i talked about it yesterday how the hidden wisdom of god is the future, that's the hidden wisdom of God. And so when God gives you a word of wisdom, he's giving you a word, a fragment of the future. God knows the future better than we know the past. When he gives you a word of wisdom, he's giving you access, insight into what's going to transpire in the future. And then number three, there's the discerning of spirits. The discerning of spirits is the discerning of four types of spirits. The human spirit to see whether someone is corrupt or someone is noble, someone is deceitful or someone is true, someone is not to be trusted or someone who is to be trusted. Two, the discerning of demon spirits. This is to discern different types of spirits that need to be cast out. And three, the discerning of angelic spirits. This is when you discern angels. We see this in Acts chapter 12, where um, Peter is woken up by the angel. And he lifts him up and he leads him out of the city. And he thought he was seeing a vision because he was discerning a spirit. Nobody else saw it, not even the guards and all those people that were around him. They didn't see it, but Peter, by the discerning of spirits, was able to discern that, and that angel that was guiding him out of the prison dungeon and into uh, Mary's house where they were having a prayer meeting. And then finally, there's God's spirit, discerning God's spirit. I told the story yesterday of two Bible college professors I, I had that were amazing people and still alive and still well and still going strong and they're still missionaries. They live in Texas and there was, uh, both of them were staunch Baptists, didn't believe in the move of God. One of them gets baptized in the Holy Spirit, convinces the other, uh, his wife, to come to a Catherine Coleman service. And she comes with a hostile attitude against, against and opposing all uh, the, the spiritual things and anything spiritual. She came from a staunch Baptist upbringing. And in that service, she discerned God's Spirit because she saw a cloud forming on the left side of the auditorium and it began to move. And as it moved, it was uh, emitting like rain. It was drop, letting rain fall from this cloud. And as 
It, the rain hit the people, they would fall out, and nobody else saw it, not even her husband saw it, but she discerned it. She was able to see God's Spirit moving in a service. That's right, Raquel, it's the glory cloud. I saw this in Guatemala, I discerned a glory cloud where there was something like uh, flashing or glitter in this thick haze, and it wasn't a hot night, it was actually like 62 degrees, and it was not hot. And I just remember seeing this thick cloud form and there was glitter and some sort of flashing substance in it. And as the cloud began to fill the room, people came forward, bowing their face, laying prostrate on the ground for like an hour to an hour and a half. And miracles began to pop off like popcorn in that place. And from that moment, every one of our meetings began to become more intense when it came to miracles and the weight of God's presence. So those are the revelation gifts. Today, I want to talk about the inspiration and the power gifts. Let's start with the inspiration gifts. Inspiration gifts. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and beginning with verse 4. There are diversity of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are differences of ministries, but the same Lord. There are diversity of, gift, of activities, but the same God who works all in all. I explained what that means on yesterday's broadcast. By the way, stay tuned to the end because I'm going to pray that God is going to release. God is going to release His glory on you so that from today, you'll have an intense craving and a burning passion and fervent desire to see these gifts operate in your life. And God's going to begin to reveal from Scripture to you every instance where these individual gifts operated through others and give you a plan and give you an understanding on how they can flow through you. You are stepping into a new season of usefulness to the hand of God. God is going to use you, not in a natural method, in a supernatural way. You will be, you will be, you will shine as a star in your generation. Not so that glory can come to you, that whatever greatness you get through the operation of these gifts, that the greatness you get will be in making God's name great on the earth. I don't want to be great for the sake of me being great. If I have any greatness, like Billy Graham, if he had any greatness, it was in making God's name great. Jesus' name great on the earth. Wigglesworth, a very humble man. If he had any greatness, it was in his, in his, uh, in his uh, empowerment, his, the grace God gave him to fulfill his assignment and make God's name great on the earth to turn people to Christ your greatness will be found in making him great in Jesus name so stay tuned to the end because I'm going to release God's glory on your life I'm going to pray that these gifts begin to flow efficiently through you from today your life will not be a, a stagnant stale thing your life will not be a natural, ordinary thing. You will not be an ordinary person. You will not blend in with the rest of this world. You will be someone that stands out as these, as these gifts begin to flow through your life. And there'll be a notable difference, a distinction on your life. They'll say that person doesn't operate like everyone else. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit. To another the word of knowledge through the Spirit. To another faith by the same Spirit. To another gifts of healing by the same Spirit. To another uh, working of miracles. To another prophecy, discerning of spirits. To another different kinds of tongues. And to another interpretation of tongues. But the one and same Spirit worketh all these things, distributing to each one individually as he wills. So we see there the three inspiration gifts. To another, prophecy. Prophecy is the first of the inspiration gifts. And Paul says is actually the one we should covet or desire the most. Secondly is 
different kinds of tongues. And thirdly, you have interpretation of tongues. Now, if we skip down to chapter 14 of 1 Corinthians and verse 1, the Bible says we are to pursue love and desire spiritual gifts. Now, some people, they read that, they read that to mean that love, you know, you can either walk in love or you can settle for just operating in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. But ultimately, walking in love, I mean, that trumps the gifts of the Spirit. That trumps it. That's not what Paul was saying. There's actually a scripture here that says, uh, earnestly desire the greater gifts. Where is it? Here, verse 12, uh, chapter 12, verse 31. So Paul says, earnestly desire the best gifts, yet I'll show you a more excellent way. And then he moves into chapter 13 where it's a dissertation on love and he talks about love. Some people have interpreted that to mean that there's love that we should ultimately, we should just walk in love. But if you're not ready for that love walk, the gifts of the Spirit will do for you. As if like Paul got sidetracked here in chapter 13 and he starts talking about love. And then finally in chapter 14, he comes back to the gifts of the Spirit. No, what Paul is saying in enforcing what I said before is that earnestly desire the greater gifts. Zelu, I talked about it yesterday, a burning passion to desire, to covet. Just like there's an evil coveting, you covet someone else's silver, covet someone else's gold, covet someone else's car, covet someone else's house. You can covet someone else's living style and um, standard or quality of living. The Bible uses that same word to covet, covet the greater gifts. So you coveted evil things in your old life, but now we're to covet or desire or burn passionately for, desire for these things to operate in us, the best gifts. But then he goes, yet I'll show you a more excellent way. What Paul is saying is I'm going to show you the excellent way to operate in these gifts. I'm going to show you how to excel in these gifts. And he talks about love. And then he comes back in in chapter 14, verse 1 and says, so pursue love. Because if you don't pursue love, for chapter 13, 1 says it profits you nothing to work miracles or move mountains by faith or have all the knowledge of the world. So he's not saying there's love and it's pinned against the gifts of the Spirit. He's saying love and the gifts of the Spirit flow hand in hand. Pursue love. The Bible says in Galatians 5, 6 that faith worketh by love. And these gifts are faith triggered or faith activated. So you can't even operate in these gifts without faith. And the faith of God is the one that operates by love. Pursue love and desire, earnestly desire, zelu, covet after spiritual gifts. Well, you know, I don't need those gifts because I have love. You're foolish. You're foolish. God is love. Jesus came, love embodied. And yet he needed the gifts of the Spirit to fulfill his ministry. And yet he needed the gifts of the Spirit to set men free from the captivity of the devil. So you can't say, I'm a love person. I don't do that gifts of the Spirit stuff. When you truly love people and you love God, you are going to desire the gifts of the Spirit to flow through you because then and only then can you become effective, an effective force to stand against the darkness of this age and put an end, bring to naught, what the devil's trying to set up in people's life. If you're desiring that today, if you're saying, Lord, use me. Lord, I don't want to be an ordinary Christian. God, I actually want to be your hands and be your feet and affect your will on the earth. I want you to put a hand emoji in the comment section right now. Show God, here I am, send me. Desire spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. For he who speaks in a tongue 
does not speak to men. Here you're going to see in verse 1 through 5, the, the, all the inspiration gives. Prophecy, tongues, and interpretation of tongues. He who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God. For no one understands him. However, in the spirit, he speaks mysteries. But he who prophesies speaks edification, exhortation, and comfort. He who speaks in a tongue edifies himself. He who prophesies edifies the church. I wish you all spoke with tongues, but even more that you prophesied. For he who prophesies is greater than he who speaks with tongues. Listen to this. Unless indeed he interprets that the church may receive edification. I have to note here, when the Bible talks about tongues and interpretation in this context, it is talking about public tongues. So there is the private gift of tongues. The private gift of tongues is, is useful for charging you up. Jude verse 21, beloved, pray always in the Holy Ghost, building yourself up in your most holy faith. When you pray in private tongues, your private prayer language that God gave you when you were filled with the Holy Ghost, that was an activation of the gift of tongues. But when Paul's talking about the gift of tongues in this context of 1 Corinthians 14, he's not talking about your prayer language. He's talking about when you're in a gathering with other believers that's why he goes on to say you shouldn't get up and just speak in tongues because he says, if you imagine if I grab the mic today, imagine if you're watching me and I grab the mic and for an hour and 20 minutes I just spoke in tongues. What would that do for you? What would you learn? Paul actually says, how is that benefiting anybody? He says, I'd rather speak five words in a, a language you understand and 10,000 words in an unknown tongue because it doesn't bring any edification to you. But tongues, privately, in your personal devotion, it will charge you up. There is benefit to it. Tongues, privately, you pray the perfect will of God. Romans 8, 26, 27. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our prayer infirmity, in our weaknesses. When we don't know what to pray or how to pray, the Spirit Himself prays through us. Hallelujah. In groanings that can't be uttered, can't be understood. And he who knows the mind of men search or he who searches the hearts of men knows what the mind of the lord is for he maketh intercession through us according to the will of god when you pray in tongues you're praying the perfect will of god because it's the holy spirit praying in and through you number three tongues when you speak in tongues you're magnifying god in acts chapter 2 the bible says when the people heard them speak in other tongues they said they are magnifying god and they're telling of the wonderful works of God. In 1 Corinthians 14, it says, when you speak in, or when you sing in tongues, you do give thanks well. You can actually praise in tongues. How many of you have been in a service? How many of you have been in a service where the worship leader began to sing in tongues and bubble up in tongues? And it just brought such a sweet atmosphere of the anointing in the place. And it's like it just relieved all anxiety and depression and it just lifted off any heaviness that you've been feeling well you can sing in the spirit i have sung in the spirit matter of times there have been times matter of fact there have been times when i've been in my prayer room and i'm singing in the spirit and then i have the interpretation to what i'm singing and it's actually a wonderful song that i didn't even know i could ever come up with it was supernatural all these gifts are supernatural endowments they're not people, you know, they used to think that the gift of tongues was people who could speak various languages or they were so prone to learning languages or they had a desire to be linguists or interpreters or whatever. That's not the gifts of tongues. If that were the case, then people that translate for the UN, are, they have the gift of tongues because there's many people who uh, desire to study different languages of the world so they can be bilingual, trilingual, quadrilingual or whatever. 
But that doesn't mean they have the gift of tongues. The gift of tongues is a supernatural inspiration whereby God, whereby God, by inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is speaking through you in a tongue that you did not know and could not work up with your mental faculties. Hallelujah. The Bible says it's not your mental faculties. Because Paul says, when I pray in the Spirit, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. My understanding is unfruitful. So we're talking about praying in the Spirit here and activating this gift of tongues, both privately and publicly. Number three, you magnify God. Number four, tongues refreshes you in its private context. Isaiah 28, the Bible says, that with stammering lips, clamoring tongue, I will speak to my people. And this is the refreshing that I shall refresh them with. This is the refreshing. There's refreshing. I had times when I've prayed in the spirit. I, didn't, I had a situation I didn't know how to pray about. I didn't know what to do. Or I felt weary. I, felt, I didn't feel strength. You know, when you're on a fast and you're not eating, you're just drinking water for a long period of time. Sometimes you can feel weak. Well, when you feel weak, begin to pray in tongues. Because when you pray in tongues, God said, this is the refreshing that I'm going to refresh you with. It'll actually bring like water to a weary soul, a sense of refreshment to you. And then finally, number five, tongues is the first evidence of the baptism in the Holy Ghost. Acts 2, they received the Holy Spirit, they spoke with other tongues. Acts chapter 8, when Peter and John prayed, on, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit, they spoke with other tongues and prophesied. Acts chapter 10, the Bible says when the Spirit of God fell on them, they received the Spirit even as we did at the beginning. Well, how did they receive the Holy Spirit at the beginning? How did they know they had the Spirit? They began to speak in other tongues. So Acts chapter 10, when the Gentiles received the Holy Ghost, they spoke with other tongues. Acts chapter 19, Paul, laying hands on people who had not heard of the Holy Spirit yet. They had only been baptized in the name of John. And they were disciples of Christ, however. The Bible says when they were filled with the Holy Spirit, they spoke with tongues. And they, and they began to, uh, they, they were baptized in the Holy Ghost. So that's in its private context. But we're talking about 1 Corinthians 14, which is in its public use, in a public context. Paul says, if you just blurt out in tongues at a church, and there's no interpretation, you're out of order. Let me rephrase that. Let me rephrase that. Because you can blurt out in tongues, because you felt the inspiration to do it, but if there's nobody that can interpret in that service, and or perhaps there is someone, but they, they're disobedient and do not interpret it, you are truly not out of order. I'm going to correct that statement. You are not out of order. But if you do blurt out in tongues because you just felt something come on you and you knew there was no message, it was just some excitement in the flesh and it disturbs the meeting, you are out of order. If you blurt out in tongues while the preacher is preaching, you are out of order. And God is not a God of chaos, but of order. Listen to what Paul says. If I come to you speaking with tongues, what shall I profit you unless I speak to you by revelation knowledge or by prophesying or by teaching? Even things without life, whether flute or harp, when they make a sound, unless they make a distinction, how will it be known what is piped or played? Verse 9, likewise you, unless you utter by the tongue words easy to understand, how will it be known what is spoken? You'll be speaking into the air. There are, may, as it may be, many kinds of languages in the world, and none of them is without significance. Therefore, if I don't know the meaning of the language, I will be a foreigner to him who speaks, and he who speaks a foreigner to me. 
So verse 13 gives us the correct usage of the gift of tongues in public context. He says, therefore, let him who speaks in a tongue pray that he may interpret or that there may be an interpreter. For if I pray in my, with a tongue, my spirit is praying, but my understanding is unfruitful. What is the conclusion? I'll pray with the spirit and I'll pray with my understanding. I'll pray, sing with the spirit. I'll sing with my understanding. Otherwise, if you just bless with the spirit, how will he who occupies the place of the uninformed who don't know what you're saying in that language say amen? In verse, uh, chapter 14 and verse 5, I'm going to repeat this. I wish you all spoke with tongues, but even more that you prophesied. For he who prophesies is greater than he who speaks with tongues, unless indeed he interprets that the church may receive edification. Paul is essentially saying here, tongues by itself, outside of private devotion, is useless. In its public context, there must be an interpretation. And he says, tongues and interpretation combined together is the formula for prophecy. Because if we read about prophecy, it says he who prophesies. And when, so we just dealt with tongues. Tongues is inspiration by God, by the Holy Ghost, to speak in a language that you don't know with your mental faculty. Interpretation is not direct word-for-word -word translation of the tongues, although it could be. But he calls it interpretation of tongues, meaning the, the essence of the message or the core message is being interpreted. That's why sometimes you'll have someone blurt out in tongues and it takes like three minutes to get the message out. And then the person who interprets in English, it takes about a minute. It's because it's, it doesn't necessarily mean word for word the translation is coming forth. It, it can be, however, or it is rather, that the interpretation, the core message, the essence of what is spoken is coming forth. I, you know, um, a, uh, a story I heard of this in operation in a church service was an evangelist by the name of Tommy Bates who went to Russia to preach when the, um, you know, communism was falling, but Stalin was still up. And he was in Russia, and they had an interpreter that was interpreting what he was saying in English, but she was speaking in, in uh, Russian. And every time Tommy Bates would say, Jesus is Lord, that woman who was a Stalin uh, ally would say, Stalin is Lord or Stalin is King. Every time she would say, Jesus did miracles, he would say, Jesus did miracles. She would interpret it to be that Stalin does miracles for our country. And she would twist the, the message. So Tommy Bates, all of a sudden, while he was speaking in English, randomly, he began to belly out in tongues. And he spoke in tongues for a duration of 15, 20 minutes. But the thing that was interesting to him is that the first one minute of him speaking in tongues, the interpreter went and sat down on her seat in the front row and didn't get back up. So he said, well, my interpreter's gone. I'm just going to keep on speaking in tongues because he felt the sweet presence of God filling the room. As he did that, about 15, 20 minutes in, a bunch of Russians just came forth and knelt at the altar and gave their life to Jesus that night. When he got down from the pulpit, he went to his interpreter and said, why did you leave me on the pulpit alone? You know, I had to just speak in tongues the rest of the time. He said, the, the lady replied, what do you mean? Why, do I why did I leave you? You spoke, you told me you didn't speak Russian. And you spoke to me in perfect Russian that I should shut up and sit down and let me finish the message alone. <laughs> That gives you chills. You told me in perfect Russian that I should shut up, sit down, and, and I'd finish the message alone. 
And he obviously continued off in Russian, and they all came unanimously to come and repent and give their life to Jesus that night. That's a function of tongue and interpretation. Whether he was speaking in Russian or not, doesn't, I, I don't know. Whether, whether he was speaking in Russian or not, it doesn't matter. The fact is that there was some sort of interpreting force that let the lady know and the people know exactly what was being said in the spirit. So Paul says if you take tongues and prophecy, uh, tongues and interpretation, it equals prophecy. What is prophecy? In verse 3 of 1 Corinthians 14, it says, He who prophesies speaks edification, exhortation, and comfort. Prophecy which is the greatest gift of inspiration listed in 1 Corinthians 12, is for the purpose of edification, exhortation, and comfort. Prophecy is the anointed speaking forth of words designed to edify, exhort, and bring comfort to people. Prophecy is the mind of the Holy Spirit speaking to us and through us in supernatural utterance. So what is edification? Because those are fancy words. What is edification? Edification is just words designed to build up people. When you're edifying, we get the word for building skyscrapers. We call them edifice. Uh, old English, people don't really call that anymore. But edifice, an edifice is a building. So when the Bible says for edification, it is for the building up or the charging up. This gift is designed to edify, build up, strengthen those that may be spiritually weak or are feeling frail or ready to give up. It removes people from the dungeon of fear and brings them into supernatural boldness and confidence. This gift will enable an individual to bring a word that will edify, uplift, or strengthen the entire body. That's why Paul says that if you speak in a tongue alone, it does nothing. But if you speak in tongues and interpret, it equals prophecy because the whole church receives edification. It's a wonderful gift. It then is for exhortation. What's exhortation? Exhortation is a call towards something. It can be a, an instruction. It is not rebuke. It is an instruction. It is a call towards something. Perhaps a call to holiness. A call to consecration. A call to uh, separation from the world. Oftentimes, when someone is exhorting through this gift of prophecy... There is a do this, or train up in this, or change this, or you need to go there. Now prophecy, I need to make this clear, prophecy, as I've said before, is not to be confused with the word of wisdom. Prophecy is not foretelling future events. That's the word of wisdom, and we discussed that already. Prophecy is edification, exhortation, and comfort. There is nothing in there that says foretelling future events. There's nothing in there that talks about guiding as to what's going to happen in the future. Nothing about prophecy has uh, reference to that. When the prophets operated in the Old Testament that they were called seers, they were actually operating by the revelation gifts. Word of knowledge, word of wisdom, discerning of spirits. They were seeing in the spirit certain things. You know, the Bible says in Acts chapter, I believe it's Acts 16 or 17. I might be wrong on the reference, but it talks about Philip who had four daughters who did prophesy. They prophesied they were not prophets. Because if they were prophets, why did Agabus have to come to Paul and prophesy, or rather, because the word prophesy has two meanings. Prophesy in its definition could be foretelling the future. But prophecy is not foretelling the future in its definition. 
Yes, there is the definition of prophecy and, uh, and, and prophesying, which has to do with the future. It's very complicated. I, I don't know why we chose the same word, but that's just how it landed. But there's prophesy and prophecy in its definition of foretelling future events. But then there's prophesy and prophecy in the gift of prophecy, which is edification, exhortation, and comfort. These four daughters did prophesy in that they were used in the church to bring edification, exhortation, and comfort to the church. But they did not foretell future events because they did not stand in the office of the prophet. That's why Agabus had to come and let Paul in on what was going to happen to him at Jerusalem. I know that might have confused some people, but bear with me. So exhortation, a call to holiness. Sometimes it's a word that encourages you. And a word of exhortation can encourage you to keep moving. Encourage you to keep pressing in. You know, when I was first starting out in the ministry and I had no doors open to me in the ministry and I had no, nobody I knew that could open up doors for me in the ministry. I remember I would fast and pray for God who had the key of David to open up these doors and uh, I just believed. But there were times where I needed encouragement and I remember many times there'd be a, a man of God that would pull me out of a crowd and he would say, you've been faithful. Doors are opening. God, Get ready. God's about to open up doors for you. God's about to, to bring you to light. God's about to, uh, God's about to give you opportunity to preach and all that. And, and it would bring me strength. It gave me the joy to keep pressing in. It gave me the necessary endurance and stamina to keep going. Prophecy is a wonderful gift. Because if you feel like giving up or you're wearied out, or you feel like you've come to the end of yourself, this gift of prophecy can actually insert in you a holy strength and stamina to keep believing, to keep moving, and never to give up. And then finally, for comfort, inspiration gift. Prophecy is for comfort. Prophecy can lift a Christian out of depression. Prophecy can lift a Christian out of anxiety. Prophecy can lift a Christian out of, out of, uh, out of, out of uh, being downcast. Psalm 42, you see David prophesying to his own self. He's, and you, that's a wonderful thing to do. When you learn to prophesy over your own life, it is a great tool to have. Because you wake up some days and you don't feel like doing much. But if you can look in the mirror and say, why, like David did, why so downcast, O my soul? Hope in God, for you shall yet praise him for the help of his countenance. You start to prophesy that in the mirror, and you start to feel, you know, the anointing come on you. Smith Wigglesworth used to say that if you can get up in the morning and pray in tongues by this gift of inspiration, they're gifts of inspiration because they inspire you to keep going. You pray in tongues for 15 minutes, you'll never backslide. He said, if you'll sing in the spirit every morning and dance before the Lord, you'll always have enough joy and strength for that day's needs and task. Hallelujah. You, could, you should learn to do what David did in Psalm, 1 Samuel 30, where his whole camp had been ransacked, ransacked by the Amalekites. And the people that were under his charge turned against him and thought of stoning him. David had opportunity to give up, run away, flee to mountains and hide. Matter of fact, in Psalm 11, it gives you a, a little bit of a hint as to how he felt. It says um, that he felt like saying to his soul, flee to the mountains, fly away like a bird towards heaven. But what good would that have done? You don't run from your problems. 
You tap into these gifts, specifically that gift of prophecy, so that you can have inspired strength by the Holy Ghost to tackle your problems. Whatever problem you don't confront has a right to conquer you. Whatever problems you don't challenge will remain. Whatever problems you don't stand against will totally wipe you out. The devil's not a gentleman. He's not going to leave freely of his own volition. You have to boot him out. And the strength necessary to fight the good fight of faith comes when you tap into this gift of prophecy. David in 1 Samuel 30, the people thought of stoning him. What did he do? He encouraged himself in the Lord. Strengthened himself in the Lord. You know how you can self-prophesy or prophesy over yourself? Very simple. Start to speak the word over your life. Hallelujah. Remember, these gifts are faith-triggered. So you don't even have to feel this unction to prophesy necessarily every single time. There are times where it comes. Sometimes you can just, you know, Holy, uh, Smith Wigglesworth used to say, if the Holy Ghost doesn't move me, I move him. Start to say, the Lord is my light and my salvation. The Lord is the strength of my life. The Lord is my stronghold. The Lord is my fortress. He trains my hands for battle. The Lord is my glory and my grace, my son and my shield. God is for me and not against me. God is my helper. God is the strength of my days. God is the one who raises me up every day from sleep. God is the one who heals my body, who forgives all my sins. The Lord satisfies my mouth with good things. The Lord renews my strength like that of an eagle's. The Lord gives power to him that is weak and strength to them that lack might. The Lord is my light and my lamp and my future and my hope. The Lord. You start to say things like, you start to prophesy. All will be well. I'm not going down. Men say there's a casting down, but I'm saying there's a lifting up. All shall be well with me. You know, that woman who lost her son in 2 Kings chapter 4, who Elisha had prophesied she'd have a son. She ends up having a son. Years later, she loses her son to some sort of farming accident. And she takes her son and goes towards Elisha was, and she self-prophesies. On the way, people ask her, is it well with you? She says, it is well with my soul. Sometimes you have to learn in the midst of everything going haywire and everything looking like it's downward spiraling and it looks like there's no light at the end of that tunnel. Sometimes you have to learn to lift up your hands and say, it is well with my soul. Because if the Lord is for me, then all things work together for good to those that love God. I'm not dying here. I'm, I'm, camp, I'm not camping in. I'm passing through the valley of the shadow of death. Hallelujah. Got to learn to say, the Lord's my shepherd. I'm not going to lack anything. Because when you have depression starting to knock on your door and you have some sort of news reports that are coming around that we're entering into a depression or a recession likened to 1920s and we're entering into a time of penury and there might be nuclear war and there might be a real estate crash and there might be this on the stock market and I might lose my job. You can either pay attention to all those things or you can learn to use this gift of prophecy over your own self and say, Father, I thank you that no matter what goes on in this world, a thousand can 
fall to my side, 10,000 to my right hand. These things shall not come near me, for the Lord is my helper, my shepherd. I will not lack anything. The Lord takes good care of me. Surely goodness and mercy, not calamity and and tribulation i'm not talking about the tribulation that will come to you because you take a stand for christ i'm not talking about not you know saying i'm never gonna have to uh have trials or tribulation with regards to my stand for christ i'm talking about the devil's tribulation the devil's trouble that he tries to throw at you you don't have to expect that for as for me and my house we serve the lord and goodness and mercy is to be expected for the servants of the lord that's why psalm 35 27 says let the servants of the lord say the lord be magnified who has pleasure in the prosperity of his servants hallelujah i'm not going down i'm not going to suffer shipwreck jesus is the captain of my ship and my tomorrow's going to be all right because I'm doing what God's called me to do today. And good luck to any devil in hell that stands in my way. I'm moving forward only and backwards never. Look at how that gift of prophecy has just helped you. Online, I'm seeing the fire emojis. I'm seeing the hallelujahs. I'm seeing the praise report. This is what the gift of prophecy does. You see how I just triggered it off? Started out? And then the Holy Ghost came on to say, hey, there's someone who wants that gift. I'm going to distribute it to him because he's passionately pursuing that gift. And it brought edification. Hallelujah. I know I was going to do the power gifts today, but I just went in a different direction and stayed a little longer than I thought I would on the inspiration gifts. Tomorrow we're going to do the power gifts. But today I feel the unction right now. I feel the unction to prophesy over some of you. And speak words of life over you. You know, J uh, Peter and John in prison, the angel comes and he says, go and tell them the words of this life. Prophecy is the word that brings life. Prophecy is, is quickened, inspired word of the Holy Ghost. It's not stale stuff. It's living. It's juicy. It imparts strength. The mighty name of Jesus. Those of you that are watching me right now, you're hanging on by a thread. You will not fall. You will not give up. He that began a good work in you is going to bring it to completion for our God is able to present you faultless and without stumbling. Every snare and trap of the enemy that's been designed to take you out fails. Every devil that's been assigned to your life and has drawn up plans, their plans miscarry. And their breasts will yield no milk. The Bible says, the ditch, with the the ditch which the enemy has dug up for the righteous... They shall inhabit it. The, 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 the wicked shall inhabit that ditch. But the righteous shall inherit good. Or the blameless shall inherit good. The Bible says evil pursues sinners. But the righteous good shall be repaid to the righteous. As you've persevered. As Job did. I prophesy to you today. You shall inherit good. You shall see the goodness of the Lord. While you're yet in the land of the living. You shall rise to be the head always and never the tail, above always and never beneath. Your tomorrow shall be all right. Isaiah 3.10, one of the greatest words of prophecy in Scripture. Say unto the righteous, all will be well with you. Unto the wicked it shall not be well, but unto the righteous all will be well with you. The Bible says in the last days, the oven will be burning hot. And the wicked will be like ashes to be trampled on. But unto those that fear my name. That's you. That's me. Unto us, the son of righteousness will rise with healing in his wings. 
Be encouraged today. I want to comfort you today. I want to exhort you today. I want to edify you today with what the Word of God says. Hallelujah. Weeping endured for the night. It's time for your joy to come in this morning. It's a new beginning for you. God's pressing reset on your life. You're moving forward from today. No more sorrowing and wallowing in complaints. You're rising up with the strength of God to lay hold of the abundant life Jesus shed his blood and paid a high price for you to have. Hallelujah. The devil's going to rue the day that he had you and could have killed you but didn't do it. Because from now on, the same way the devil troubled you, you shall become a troublemaker towards the kingdom of hell. You will trouble demons. Your very presence will be a troubling presence for evil spirits. Your very presence will be a tormenting presence to the kingdom of hell. In the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Robosta. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Receive strength. Receive energy. Receive power today to keep running. You shall not grow weary in well-doing. You will continue to sow things to the Spirit. And from the Spirit you shall reap incorruptible everlasting life. Any attempt to sidetrack you. Any attempt to distract you. Any attempt to pull your eyes away. From that which is necessary. And that which God desires you to focus on. All those attempts are in vain. You will not look in another direction. You will have singleness of heart. You will not be a double-minded person. Hallelujah. Man, you see how you talk about the gift of prophecy and it just comes on. It's like it's flowing out. It's like a river. Jesus said, they that believe on me, out of their belly shall flow rivers of living water. I prophesy in the name of Jesus. As you watch me right now, rivers of living water are bubbling up out of your belly right now in Jesus' name. Some of you are receiving a fresh baptism in the Holy Ghost. The Bible says times of refreshing shall come from the Spirit of the Lord. The Spirit of God is giving you times of refreshing like a wave. Be refreshed. In Jesus' name, hallelujah. Hallelujah. If you're watching me now, you've never given your life to Jesus. You need to do that right now. You need to do that right now. Jesus Christ came to save sinners, of which we, and Paul said, of which I was the worst. I was the chief. You're not too far gone. You've not done something that has disqualified you from receiving this gift of salvation. All sin, the Bible says, all sin, all sin brings its wage, which is death. All have sinned and have fallen short of the glory of God. There's nobody that's ever been born in history outside of Jesus Christ that lives sinless. We all were born and conceived in sin. And though the wage of sin is death, the free gift of God is life eternal by Christ Jesus. Don't reject the gift. A gift can be rejected and a gift can be received. Don't reject this gift. Your eternal well-being depends on it and your temporal well-being on this earth. Because God doesn't just want you to make heaven. He wants to help you right now. He wants to heal your body. He wants to take depression out of you. He wants to heal that broken heart. He wants to deliver you from that captivity. Don't ignore him. The master's knocking on the door. He's asking to come and dine. Open up your door. Let him into your life and see 
how everything becomes new. If you've never prayed that prayer before, you need to do so right now. If you have, but you've fallen away, you've gone astray, you're not living for the Lord, you need to pray this with me right here and right now. Don't push this off one more hour. Say this, say Jesus, or rather say Father. In Jesus' name, I come to you. I, I ask you, forgive me of my sin. I repent, for I believe you raised Jesus from the dead. I confess Jesus is Lord. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Make me strong where I was weak. From today, I'm moving forward and never backwards. Though none go with me, still I will follow. In Jesus' name, I am saved. I am forgiven. I am born again. Amen. If you prayed that prayer, I want you to go on my website, salvationnow.ca. The first link that pops up is I just got saved. Click it. Fill it out. I want to hear from you. I want to send something to you free of charge. A little package that I made. It has a Bible, some reading material. It's going to greatly help you and assist you to uh, help you walk with Christ, get you started, want to plug you into a good church. Do that right now. Salvationnow.ca. I just got saved. The first link that pops up. For everyone else that's watching, I, I, this was a powerful broadcast. I, if you haven't liked it on YouTube, like the video on YouTube. You do me a great help and service. If you're on Facebook, share the video. If you need to take the link and send it to a loved one, a friend that needs encouragement, they're going to be encouraged by this broadcast. There is an anointing to be encouraged on this broadcast. There is an anointing to be strengthened on this broadcast. So do that. Help me out. Also, if you'd like to, so first of all, before I, let me ask this question. How many of you felt, I mean, if you had to appear in a court of law and God was judged and you had to put your hand on the Bible and you say, I felt the unction. I felt the unction on that broadcast. How many of you felt the unction on, on this broadcast? You just felt the sweet presence of Jesus invade your room. Let me know in the comment section. If you'd like to give, I want to give you an opportunity to give. If you'd like to give to this ministry and stand with me, Stand with me in reaching this generation with the word of God, with the gospel of salvation. We're planning on doing three Hope Fest Crusades, which is our inner city, open air, in a park, gospel campaigns that we've seen hundreds give their lives to Jesus, plugged into churches and baptized and filled with the Holy Ghost now through these campaigns. If you'd like to partner with us, stand with us, consider coming on as a partner or giving a one-time gift towards those events. Partner with us, salvationnow.ca slash give. Sorry about that. I changed my resolution when I changed all of this. So let me just, boop, boop. I'm giving you a little inside look to how we do our graphics here. I use OBS. salvationnow.ca slash give. You can give from PayPal. You can give by debit or credit. E-transfer, you can send mail to the address provided on the screen. All of that um, comes into our ministry. That is not my personal salary. We have a nonprofit ministry. I have my own set salary set by a board. When you're giving, you're not giving to my, you're not giving, this isn't going to me so I can buy a nice car or a nice house. This is going towards the ministry. And, um, and from that, I have a salary. We pay people that are on staff, but also we have 
a large chunk of that which goes towards gospel campaigns, feeding the hungry. We partner with a ministry called Feed the Hungry. We've had 120 plus uh, children overseas uh, this last year and we plan to do more this year. So consider coming on board as a partner with us. Consider uh, giving a one-time gift if you don't feel led to partner with us. But what I do ask you to do is pray about it. Pray about it. And remember, and I've stressed this many times before, the Bible says that if you will bring into my house the tithe and the offering, meaning don't spare in your giving, God gave a promise that I will open up to you the treasures of heaven, the windows of heaven, the floodgates of heaven, and pour you out a blessing so much so you won't have enough room to hold it all in. When you give to God, you will never go without. You will never be in lack. You become economic disaster proof. You become depression proof. You become, and I'm not talking about physical depression. I'm talking about financial depression and recession proof. God will take good care of you. Because when you put God first in the area of your giving, God will put you first in the area of His blessing. Hallelujah. Also, if you sow $75 or more today, as a way of saying thank you, I'm going to send you this book where I've been studying this week on the gifts of the Spirit. Where is it? Oh, no. Did I leave it upstairs? I left it upstairs, I think. Anyways, it's a gift. It's a book called Gifts and Ministries of the Holy Spirit by Lester Sumrall. It's a wonderful a resource and tool that um, everything that I'm saying, a lot of what I'm saying, I've received inspiration from that book. I've been studying that all week. And so um, for anybody that gives $75 or more as a way of saying thank you, I'm going to send that to you. Um, but you must go on the website, salvation.ca slash give. After you've done your, your offering, there's a, a link at the bottom of that giving page that says claim the offer. You need to claim the offer. You absolutely need to claim the offer. And there's an option to claim it. Fill that form out. We're going to send it to you as a way of saying thank you. Thank you for everyone that gives. Stay connected with us by visiting us on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook by searching at TJ Malkanji. Or visit us online, www.salvationnow.ca. God bless you, and until next time.